This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 196 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Georgia State's reward for a three-game losing skid is a trip to Baton Rouge to face Heisman hopeful Jaden Daniels and the 15th ranked LSU Tigers. We'll break down the matchup and look forward to the trip to Death Valley and we'll also preview the Panthers' upcoming tournament action on the hardwood. But first, let's have a little bit of a Sunbelt roundup in football, shall we? On Thursday, Southern Miss traveled to the Swamp to face Louisiana and walked out of Cajun Field 34-31 victors. Saturday action saw Old Dominion travel up to Liberty and get absolutely pounded by the Flames 38-10. James Madison welcomed UConn into Harrisonburg and beat them 44-6. Troy traveled to ULM and walked out of the Bayou 45-14 victors while Coastal Carolina hosted Texas State and beat the Bobcats 31-23. South Alabama hosted Arkansas State and was a one-score victor in that contest, 21-14. And then Georgia Southern traveled up to Marshall, where the Thundering Herd were victorious on the anniversary of honoring the 75, winning that game 38-33. Gentlemen, thoughts on this week in the Sun Belt? So not that they need any help or luck or anything, but... Troy had absolutely everything they needed to line up to go ahead and clinch the Sunbelt West. So Troy will be going to the title game on December 2nd. They had to win. Arkansas State had to lose. Louisiana had to lose. And uh, I think Texas State also was involved in that. And all of them lost. They handled business. And so the team that for the last month we've known has been the best team in the West confirmed status as far as that goes. Uh, Sealed it with... A typical, at this point, multi-score win, even on the road against ULM, and no fuss, kind of where things sit with this Troy team, where they are just fully back on board. And I guess Georgia State fans can look back at it and be like, look, this is really when it turned, when they came to play us. They got up for this game. There, There's my spin for everyone listening. Georgia State, temporary partner or small role in the Troy turnaround. Credit the Panthers. It's, you know, it's not a small thing for Troy, though, because honestly, waiver or not, I really don't know that Troy would lose the championship game against anybody in the East. I mean, with the way that they're playing, I I really think that the better team when those two teams line up on, in a few weeks is going to end up being Troy. If, it, if, you know, if James Madison was cleared, I would say the same thing. And regardless of how the next two weeks shake out for those who can actually go, um, to the Sunbelt Championship game. I just really think Troy is going to find a way to do it. It got downright biblical up in Lynchburg. Uh, the thing with ODU, and I feel like I've said this on here, I know I've said this a couple of different places, if you can get out on top of Old Dominion, they aren't equipped to come back. And it was, I think, 35-3 at halftime. So obviously Liberty caught off the dogs a little bit. But like that is the formula, which is an important thing to mention, given that Georgia State has the Monarchs on their schedule to finish out after this week. So it's a team that is very capable of staying in dogfights. And I'm interested coming off of this brutal loss with a win or you are not going to a bowl game situation lined up for them, how they respond to going on the road and facing Georgia Southern, who themselves are going to be coming off a loss on the road at Marshall that they probably feel they could have come away with. But uh, good for Marshall, I'd say, because 
things were really, really trending down for the Thundering Herd. Charles Huff and got a win on an important day, which I believe they are now 11 and 0 is what I saw online when they have designated 75 night or 75 game, whatever they call it, uh, remembering the, the uh, flight. And so sometimes sports is like that, where those little magical things line up and you win the tribute game like that every year to the 2023 part. I mean, Georgia Southern was in a really good spot and lost two straight on the road to Texas State Marshall to lose that good spot to Coastal Carolina, who just keeps winning, uh, putting away a good Texas State team at home to now. It's not set for them. I think if they drop to James Madison in the finale, if App State or Georgia Southern win out, they would go to the championship game as the East representative. But if that doesn't happen, if either team loses, and if Coastal, I guess no matter what Coastal does in their finale against the Dukes, they're in the driver's seat. And it's funny because it's basically the, the best odds at this point are Coastal and, and App State, who I think everyone, including this podcast, has basically written off a month ago. You just can't predict this stuff. It's just college football gives you new stuff every year, gives you unprobable, improbable comebacks is why we keep coming back for more. Yeah, you know, when we we end up seeing the full picture of the season, we're going to sit there and we're going to talk about that September and how, you know, certain teams in the Sun Belt just kind of rose up when it came time to really put the foot on the gas and kind of get back to where people expected them to be over this the course of the season. And yeah, like it's honestly, it is shocking to see where Coastal and App State are. Um, just given how they've played over the last few months. But here we are. It's November 16th as we record this. And, you know, one, two, and three in the Sun Belt, they're pretty much the te- Sun Belt East, excuse me, are pretty much the teams that we expected them to be. This week is interesting. I mean, the, the last couple of weeks also, like just the last two weeks in general, play into this theme where you've got – Arkansas State at five wins. Louisiana at five wins, though they, you know, it's dicey with them playing Troy this week. Marshall and South Alabama both on five wins playing each other. And then possibly, depending on how those games go, you could have the same thing where Marshall and Arkansas State also have five wins playing each other, chance to go to a bowl game. If things shake out a certain way where these teams kind of self-cannibalize a little bit, Sunbelt could steal a couple extra bowl teams we didn't know were going to be in there. Could also have an effect on James Madison and uh, Jacksonville State potentially getting to a bowl game with not enough six-win teams if the Sunbelt suddenly has. I mean, realistically, you could see all of those teams I just named on five wins get there. Like Louisiana just has to beat ULM, who's a team they should beat. Uh, The teams that are... You know, Marshall could split it between South Alabama and Arkansas State. Arkansas State could split theirs, get to a bowl game. Chance for the Sun Belt to have put up a real big number just in the sheer amount of teams going to a bowl game. And it, it kind of changed because Marshall, I think, it wasn't expected to get to that point, even last week. The Southern win got them back on track. And now if everyone helps each other out the right amount, I mean, that'd be everyone... It, ODU is also potentially alive. They have to win out against the Georgia schools, but they could get there, in which case the entire East could go bowl eligible and a handful of teams in the West as well. 
I just don't know how this conference is going to be in the future because this just, it seems like hell, you know? And I don't know that you're going to have another year where James Madison is going to be this good, you know, or, or somebody else is going to be this good. But when all of these teams are bowl eligible, like you can really see the quality of this league. And, you know, people talk about it all the time, but you really can't talk about it enough. Like there's so many good teams or, you know, teams capable of getting to that six win threshold and, you know, find a way to be playing in the postseason it really is remarkable and no postseason vibes here but a game i think we disagree on i am really curious about southern miss going to starkville and playing mississippi state who has just fired their coach will have an interim they're at four and six so technically bull hopes are still alive but they have to go through an old miss team that i think is better than them in the egg bowl so it's definitely questionable like if the momentum and the, like the caring about this game is level. Cause I think it is very possible. Southern miss ends up caring a whole lot more about this than miss state does. And I think Southern miss has been playing better as of late. I mean, they obviously got the win at Louisiana and overtime on Thursday uh, before then they beat ULM before then they honestly should have taken care of app state and kept things where they were as far as the East hierarchy. Uh, but we're not able to close that one out, but they looked good in that game as well. And I'm, I'm just curious. I don't know why Mississippi State would be considered 14 and a half point favorites as they are in this game because they haven't really shown to be 14 and a half point favorite types against anyone this year, but we'll see. It certainly would be kind of a standout result in the Sun Belt this week, even though Southern Miss doesn't have anything like this. This would not mean anything. It would make them four and seven. It would obviously mean a lot beyond the record for Will Hall and company if they were able to hit on the road and get a big SEC road win. And, you know, I think the vibes in Starkville are admittedly terrible, like you said, but I don't know. I think that there that might not be a talented Bulldogs team, but there is probably still more talent um, on that side than the Golden Eagle side. Now we're talking about 18 to 22 year olds. So, you know, they also don't have a ton to play for. Um, unless, like you said, they went out and end up going to a bowl game. But at the same time, I just feel like Southern Miss hanging around in this game would be a bit of a shocker. It does not seem like they would be capable of, you know, staying in line with what the Bulldogs have been doing. And I don't think the Bulldogs have been that good this year either. And obviously... The story for the Sun Belt the last couple of weeks uh, through no one's choice but JMU has been JMU. Um, but the saga is seemingly over, probably. The NCA has re-denied their waiver to play in the postseason, but they'll also probably make a bowl game, even in spite of all the things I went through with the uh, possibilities of more six-win teams in the Sun Belt. Uh, they also host game day this week. Uh, App State is in town. Should be a fun one. Interested to see how that plays out. I still kind of think that James Madison is just better by some measure than everyone else in the East. Uh, but this will be a game to kind of prove that out because App State's been playing better, as we well know, having watched the last game the Mountaineers played. I don't see the App State win. Um, a little bit 
a little bit is because they're on the road. A little bit is because James Madison is just kind of what they have been. Um, I think they'll keep it close, though. I really do. I think it's going to be a back and forth game, um, but relatively low scoring for what the, either of the, both of those teams have done. Like App State, I think, and James Madison are one and two in scoring in the conference. Um, so, but I, I think it, people are going to be disappointed with you know it's going to be a, definitely like a grinded out like. 20 to 16 type game, you know, where things are close and one actual touchdown can flip the entire thing, but that touchdown doesn't come. And we can talk about the usefulness of the rule. I mean, I know James Madison people are not happy and they felt that they'd put themselves in the best possible position to say, we aren't what the waiver exists for. And I get all of that. I did really struggle to see how with two weeks left in the year, they're going to tell teams that at this point knew that they had a shot of going to the East title game. And that's what they were playing for. Sorry, we're going back on what we said. And now it's James Madison. I know there's currently still a lot of outrage and still politicians, even though the Virginia elections ended uh, going on the limb, you know, going, trying to score these political points, uh, being outraged at the NCAA being unfair. But like, if they had reversed it, you would have had that, from several fan bases that still had a shot because they would have been like, look, you can't just change the rules because they were good and because they were loud about it. So I think in some ways things will calm down. And I don't think that James Madison fans will be too upset in the long run because I think they'll remember what these two years were. And I think they'll probably still feel pretty good that they can keep it rolling in 2024. But certainly as far as like gaming this stuff out and not having to worry about eligibility here and who's going to get it in second place. Like it will be nice. Uh, even if the Sunbelt is the Duke's little kingdom for a little while, we'll see uh, to have 2024 come around. And we're just talking about like the first place in the East is the best team is the championship team in the East and not having to play these little schedule games and standings games. Yeah, I mean, it's very, uh, I don't want to say frustrating because, you know, obviously those two teams met on the football field and that went how it did. But, you know, it'll be nice to just have a quote unquote normal, you know, narrative flow going into the conference for the entire year. And yeah, it would have been really tough for the NCAA to kind of, I honestly say, I would say screw over the other teams in the East who, you know, are still fighting for a chance to go to the Sunbelt Championship game. I think um, James Madison has the tiebreaker versus everybody behind them, except for their next two opponents, obviously. And they would have to lose both of them for either of them to really make it matter. Um but obviously the last couple of weeks might have went a little bit different for both of those teams if they had thought that they were going to be out of it. So, you know, it's probably a good thing. Sorry, James Madison fans. It's probably a good thing that the NCAA didn't just, you know, change season motivations at the very last opportunity that they had. Let's move on and talk about the Panthers opponent this weekend, which of course is LSU, the Tigers in Baton Rouge, 8 p.m. Saturday Eastern time on ESPN2. Tigers are 7 and 3 in 2023, fresh off of a 52 to 35 win over Florida in which the Gators conceded a school record 702 yards of offense to quarterback Jaden Daniels and company. Their head coach is Brian Kelly in his second season in Baton Rouge. He has a 17 and 7 record there and has amassed 280 wins and a long career spanning stops at Grand Valley State, Central Michigan, Cincinnati and most recently Notre Dame. 
As mentioned, Daniels is the star of the show for LSU with over 4,000 total yards of offense and 38 total touchdowns this season, averaging 316 passing yards a game, and he's flanked by two stud receivers in Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. Georgia State has never faced LSU before and are 1-5 all-time versus SEC competition. Gentlemen, thoughts on LSU? So I remember all of our talk, and I said some of these words about it's such a good thing to not have the front-loaded schedule, playing two power conference teams out of the gate, lets the team kind of find their flow better, and you don't have a situation like the last couple of years where you're playing from behind. But of course, this game ended up coming at the worst time on the schedule for Georgia State, given how the last three games have gone. And now it has reversed back to, ah, that's why it's never fun having these games on the schedule. Um, There's not a whole lot you can spin it. LSU has played 10 games. Only three teams have held them under 40 points. Two of those teams, Florida State and Alabama, are still in contention or in a good spot to make the college football playoff. The third one, which is a bit of an outlier, was Arkansas, who LSU beat 34-31 back in October. It is what it is. I honestly think... Having said all that, that it's not the worst spot to have a game like this because after three straight weeks where it's supposed to be pretty close games uh, against Georgia Southern and against James Madison against App State, the line is currently 35 or 32 points LSU is favored by. It has only gone up for where it opened. And so, like, the way I see it, yes, you're facing a terrifying offense and a guy who's going to go to New York for the Heisman ceremony, there's almost no way that you don't at least meet expectations for this game. It is going to be very hard to have the same kind of disappointing, like no show feeling from this game that you had after the last couple, because everyone knows LSU is really stinking good. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, there's almost no way to take anything out of this game for Georgia State only because, you know, defensively, Georgia State has had some problems lately. Um, I think also offensively they've had some problems, but I think the best thing for them would be to getting back to not allowing 40 points a game. So here comes the team in the country that is very consistently dropping 40 points on just everybody that they end up playing. Um, it's truthfully incredible what they're doing. They Oregon has since passed them. This is the last time I checked. Um, but LSU is averaging 45.9 points per game. That's very dumb. Um, and, and I say that in a... Uh, a way that is very uh, admirable. Like it, it is truthfully fun watching their offense. Um, you know, going by their uh, the teams that they've played and the amount of points, FSU in week one, um, which, you know, week one and FSU is also good. They held them under 40 points. Um, Arkansas held them under 40 points. Um, and then Alabama did. But obviously that game was a little bit of an asterisk because uh, Daniels was hurt in the, I, mean, I believe, the middle of the third quarter. But I really believe that he would have at least gotten two more scores. Um, I mean, this offense is a machine, you know, I think the only thing keeping them from being higher in Heisman conversation is one Oregon has one loss and Washington has no losses. And two, uh, they're just not going, they're not a a playoff hopeful team at this point. They have three losses. Um, 
you know, but like this offense is absolutely a machine. It's every bit as good as the, you know, USC's, the Oregon's, the Washington's. Um, and honestly, maybe even a little bit better given that they play in the SEC. Um, I, you know, I, I don't mind giving that bias here on this podcast. So. Yeah, and it leads me on to kind of the main thrust of what I'd say about this game, which is. One, I think you just want to see little things go better. You want to see some sustained drives. And this is an SEC defense, but it's not like the vaunted LSU defenses we've seen in the past. It's been gettable. Like they scored 52 against Florida this past week, set a school record. They needed to because Florida scored 35. And it was a game, I think it was 38-35 in the fourth quarter before they finally got a little bit of space. So there is that. And we have seen this offense be better. As far as, you know, it's 32-point line, heavy, heavy favorites for LSU, Heisman hopeful, and I think he's going no matter what. It's about whether he gets the first place votes to win it, but he is going to be in New York as far as I can tell. How much does LSU care about that and how about putting on a showcase for Jaden Daniels? Because past defense for Georgia State's not been great. Bottom five, bottom 10, wherever you look at certain statistics, been gettable, especially of late, with the explosive plays turning into touchdowns and a formula for disaster going against a guy like this. This is also the time of the year where you can start playing all your freshmen and keep the red shirts. So the only thing I am unsure about is like if it hits the third quarter and LSU is comfortably up, which is a, certainly a possibility, do they keep Daniels and anyone on the first team in, or do they switch and start rotating other guys in to get a look at them? Because this is a time to get them some live action. And it's unfortunate to like have the SEC game when last year we were talking up the possibility of beating South Carolina, talking up the possibility of beating North Carolina. But it's honestly like a deference to LSU as much as it is that Georgia State's not been playing well as of late. Like this is just a really as a team trying to make the G5 P5 upset, you can't go into this game saying we have to score 40 plus to win and think your odds are very good. And I think that you have to score 40 points in this game to feel like you're going to have a chance to win. So it is honestly just about the fact that this is not a great team to have lined up. And it's kind of the lottery when you schedule these, these buy games, because when they scheduled this, I think it was maybe 20, I have to look that up to be sure, but I don't know that they knew that the offense would be like this when they scheduled it. You know, when Troy scheduled LSU, some of these other ones that have gotten um, scheduled are like when Georgia State scheduled Tennessee, the only other time they had played Tennessee, they got handled back in 2012. I don't know that either team knew where the other one would be when the game actually happened. And as it turned out, Georgia State was in a position to win that game. So there is a part of all of these matchups that's about timing and it's about sometimes you set it up and, you know, Southern Miss and Mississippi state, like we talked about earlier, it ends up being not a bad time, even though I think Southern Miss wish their season would be going better to end up playing that game. So it's not like I'm just admitting defeat. It's college football. I'm going to be there. I'm hoping it'll be an exciting game to watch if nothing else. But it is reality that like you have to look at it in terms of it would be a pretty seismic upset. And it isn't just because Georgia State's been playing poorly. Yeah, no, it definitely isn't that. And I don't want people to 
look at this game and take too, too much away from it as it relates to the Panthers. I mean, obviously it would be nice if they could, you know, play better than they've played the last few weeks, because even, even though we pretty much think that this is going to be a loss, I think there are still ways that you could go and not play poorly. You know, don't look like a team that is completely overmatched. Don't look like a team that can't get in your offense and, you know, lets the moment get too big for you. Um, I, I think that, you know, finding ways to look like they did earlier in the season it would go a long way to kind of restoring some faith and giving some confidence going into the last week and into the inevitable bowl game. This could be a game that everyone feels better about. That is a worse score than the last three weeks. Legitimately could be LSU covers this and you kind of shrug and go, what are you going to do? This is a really good offense. Georgia State put up. 24 or whatever in this game and everything was kumbaya and it felt like they'd found something and for the rest of it a very very good offense got theirs and there wasn't a lot that you or just about anyone else on their schedule was able to do about it so we'll see how that goes the thing that i think arkansas maybe did more than because i that's the only one you can really go to as far as like what you can try and emulate I'm not going to try and say Georgia State can pull the Bama plan or the FSU plan in this game. But Arkansas, I think, was the surprise, especially because since that point, their season has kind of gone to, uh, and their coach might be, uh. LSU had to settle for a couple of short, short field goals. And one of them was a game winner with five seconds left, so there's a little bit of a, you know, if the clock wasn't an issue, they might have gotten the end zone there. But there's a little bit of a parallel there with, when Georgia State's defense was really clicking earlier in the year, they weren't going perfectly. They were giving up some of these chunk plays, but we had talked about it on here that they were not allowing the touchdown play. They were allowing chunk plays, maybe even into the red zone. And at that point, they were bowing up a little bit, forcing teams to settle for a field goal attempt or you know, forcing a turnover, what have you. That's going to be the key because Jaden Daniels is a just an awesome quarterback. And he's got two really good receivers in Neighbors and Thomas. He's also a threat with his legs. And there's other guys in the offense too. I'm sure they're going to want to get their running game going. But if you get a situation where Neighbors is running free, if you get him down, you get to play another down. <laughs> you know, it's the same with Jane Daniels. Like if you have a chance to make an open field tackle, if he does take out out of the backfield, you got to get him down because he got an 85-yard touchdown run against Florida last week. And there was another long touchdown run there as well. They've got really good downfield blockers in their receiving court LSU. It's going to be a situation where we know those plays are going to be there because one, we've seen them give them up against not LSU. And two, LSU has plays like that in bunches. But like if they are keeping those plays from killing them and ending the drive, Maybe they force a field goal because we've seen this run defense be good when the field gets shorter. Maybe that keeps them around longer, and that's going to be kind of the key because if it's going to be like last week against App State where they're giving up three-plus touchdowns of 50-plus yards, then that's when you're going to start looking at the score getting ugly, ugly, ugly. And I set the bar at this not to be totally defeatist about it, but just to be talk about it in terms of measuring stick games. LSU played Grambling in their FCS game, and they also played Army this year. They beat Grambling 72-10. to 10. They beat Army 62 to nothing. 
I think with all the warts that Georgia State's shown the last few weeks, Georgia State is a better team than both of those teams. So lose by less than 62. Lose by however much less than 62. Folks. Prove a point there. It is that simple. That's all it is. Just lose by less than that. And the reason I think it is also possible is, like I said, there's if we see the offense that we saw for a lot of the year, which I would say there's a good bit of the reason we've stopped seeing it is because of Georgia State issues, not just because they're playing good teams. I think that Georgia State can score three times. I, I really do, especially if it's kind of lopsided and you do see some of the second team, third team people come in for LSU. That is the other side of if they play some freshmen is you might be able to take advantage of some freshman mistakes getting their first like legitimate live action. But whether it's whatever you're playing for in this game or the old Dominion game or the bowl game, like there are still two more games after this, one of which is a bowl game that this program has started priding themselves in preparing and playing well in uh, the Dan Ellington injury year aside kind of at this point. And you need Darren Granger to get back on track. Like this result doesn't matter other than like obviously playing them close or winning in the SEC stadium would go a long way for this program kind of getting a big program moment and rowing back some momentum that had been lost from losing the last three games. But even if you take that part of it out, like you've still got another conference game on the road to finish out the year in a bowl game. And like, they're not going to go well if you don't have the offense in some kind of rhythm again. And so it's going to be important to, Whatever it was this week that you need to do to get Darren back into his flow, important. Um, Got to see what you can do to find more explosiveness in the running game because last week it was death by 100 paper cuts, but then you ran out of paper and you started just not moving the ball at all in the ground game. Got to get back to seeing a little bit of that as well. Um, so it'll be interesting. I'm definitely still looking forward to it with all of the caveating and all of the, well, I'm not expecting much. And I'd also say the pod didn't sound that different way back when in the early days of the Thursday night podcast, when we talked about the Tennessee game. And so who knows? I don't remember anyone calling that shot other than Dan Ellington in the spring practice. And I don't remember us feeling like there was much of a chance just because we didn't know much about that team. So it is why you line up and play 60 minutes. Yeah, you know, to be clear, I only called it like, I think that summer, I didn't call it like the week before. Um, I honestly didn't even remember that I did. So, you know, I don't I don't have the uh, the crystal ball today, this week for, you know, Panthers versus Tigers. But, you know, it should at least be a good time. Honestly. All right. So uh, an interesting little bit of transition between football and basketball here. As uh, earlier this week, we discovered that the Georgia State Convocation Center is going to be playing host to a team in the Arena Football League, a name that some of you listening might be familiar with, the Georgia Force, formerly out of, uh, were they in Gwinnett County somewhere? I think they might have played at a Arena at Gwinnett Center. Gwinnett Arena, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, they got announced with the uh, AFL coming back, going to be playing in the Convocation Center, which is a really, really cool thing for Georgia State, because, you know, that's part of the reason you build an arena like that, is you can have those uh, rental opportunity things and all that stuff and you know the arena can do it because the whole uh lower bowl can be reconfigured and i think that's plenty of room to put arena football in there but i think i might want to go to one of those games sounds like a a fun way to experience a different brand of football so i want to say the good stuff first because you're right rental income two fantastic words uh was the selling point or one of the selling points for getting the convocation center in the first place and so i'm glad they found a semi-permanent 
uh, as long as the arena football lasts this time, uh, partner for that. I've only been to one arena football game and I don't love like packed loud noises, closed environments. And I, this is when I was a kid, obviously, because the force has not been around for forever, but I am not sure that I'm going to run to get to a Georgia force game when it is happening because, um, I don't know. I'm just a sound wimp, I guess. I remember like having to chase down earplugs at that point. But exciting news for the Convocation Center for Georgia State, possibilities that will come from that. I'm just a bit of a wet blanket. I want to go to an arena football game. That, that looks fun. Dude, David, I will it. say, Delta's again, ready when I you was are. a kid. I should probably be grown up about this and just say, I was a kid and it'll be better this time. But I, I'm just being honest with you guys here. It's what we're, what we're here for. Just honest thoughts and the vibes were not great from arena football viewing as a kid, as I remember. All right. So let's fully transition to basketball. Now the Georgia state convocation center will also be hosting some basketball action this weekend, including finally the Panthers men's basketball home opener. Georgia state will host the capital challenge for the second year running this year with just three teams participating. Panthers will face Northern Illinois Friday at 2 PM and Little Rock on Sunday at the same time, with those teams playing each other on Saturday. NIU Huskies enter the weekend 2-1 with a home win over the Sunbelt foe Appalachian State in the MAC Sunbelt Challenge, while former conference mates the Trojans of Little Rock are 1-1 with a win over Texas State under their belt. Gentlemen, thoughts on the Capital Classic for the men's basketball team? So yeah, a bit of a bummer for the team and just the general experience of the point of having this tournament that Northeastern was originally involved and dropped out. So it is just three teams. And so you just have the Friday, Sunday or the Saturday, Sunday for the different teams. And it takes, takes a little bit of the experience of what you're going for away with replicating the conference tournament with back to back to back games, kind of getting your sea legs under you, but still an opportunity. Um, I think we feel better certainly about the Georgia state team that we're seeing now than we did talking about the team heading into the Capital Challenge last year. And as you look at Kempom, they're not teams that Georgia State is like considerably, considerably better than. But just going off of the metrics, it's two teams where they should be favorites, playing at home especially, a good chance to go 2-0 and this weekend and get to 3-1. and And Fellas, that would be the first three-game win streak since Rob Lanier was the head coach. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's fun playing these out-of-conference games, regardless of who the opponent is, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, kind of like how we said last week when Georgia State was playing Western Michigan, you really just want to see them look better. You want to see them play better basketball than they have, um, than they did last year, regardless of the win. And I think, you know, the first game against Belmont, you saw that. The game against Western Michigan, you saw that. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see kind of how the offense continues to evolve. You know, I think there's a lot of talent on that side of the ball. You know, I, I, is is Lucas Taylor really going to be the guy who's dropping 25, you know, 27 points a game, you know, or somebody else going to step up and this is going to be their turn to, you know, be the shining star, if you will. Um, but, you know, conversely, I think this game being at home in Atlanta, I, it's a really good chance for Georgia State to find a way to 
continue to build that chemistry. I think last year, the biggest thing that we saw between out-of-conference play and Sunbelt play was somewhere in there, the little bit of chemistry that they had that I, I think they really were developing in their out-of-conference play. It just did, it honestly fell apart, you know, as they got into conference play. And I think the only way that you can really replicate that is to just continue to play the games, continue to be on the court with each other. Um, and, you know, this is another opportunity to do that against teams that are, I don't want to say similar because like you said, that Georgia state, you know, in one person's opinion is better than them. Um, but these are, these are people that Georgia state should be, you know, whether comfortably or whether, you know, medium comfortably, I think it should be a game that Georgia state should come away with. And I have, I don't know if I've talked about it on here as much as just like long-term, I don't love having this be the home tournament every year. Like, I think there is something to be gained from going to these different places to say nothing of the experience of when you're off the court, but you go to the Cayman islands, you get to be in the Cayman islands, at least for a couple of minutes and you're on a beach and all that that goes with in the middle of a grind of a season. Like, I think that I would not love if the capital challenge is just a set thing that happens every year, because I think that there's something to be gained from the alternative and not hosting it. But you look at it this year and talked about it's the home opener. They don't have another home game until December 4th. They don't have another home game against a division one opponent until the conference opener against Arkansas state. So clearly this year, this had to be home games because you needed to get some somewhere in this slate. And, it is the other side of going out and testing yourself at Belmont to start the year and then getting the road game in the Mac Sunbelt Challenge right out of the gate is that it has not happened yet. You know, we are three games into the year, several weeks into the year, and uh, Georgia State is just finally at home for the first time. I, I think that both of those things will stop being true. You know, I think you'll have the home games on the schedule earlier starting next year. This was just kind of a weird year, but in the meantime, this is what you got. And uh, so it works out this time. All right. And that is just about all the time we have for today. But I did want to bring up the women's basketball team right now is 3-0 on their season so far, uh, beating Barry 78-41, Western Michigan 71-58 in the Sunbelt MAC Challenge, and down in Crosstown for Kennesaw State earlier this week, 62-52. So a great start for Gene Hill's squad, who will host Bethune-Cookman and Elon for the GSU Thanksgiving tournament next week in their out-of-conference schedule. Uh, so yeah, hoping that they can get some good momentum heading into Sunbelt Conference play at the end of next month. And uh, they're certainly going to have their hands full with some of the out-of-conference foes. Uh, they've got Georgia Tech and Clemson, among others, uh, in December. So we'll, of course, keep tabs on them. But other than that, that's all we've got this week. Uh, of course, we'll hit the rest of our schedule real quick. Uh, like we said earlier, men's basketball uh, hosting NIU in the opening game of the Capital Challenge at the Convocation Center on Friday, I guess today is the release of this podcast, 2 p.m. You can watch that on ESPN+. Plus. On Saturday, the uh, second game, like we said, will be taking place. That's NIU versus Little Rock. And then, of course, football at LSU in Baton Rouge at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can watch that on ESPN2 or listen live to Dave Cohen on the call on WRSFM 88.5. And then Sunday, of course, the last game of the Capital Challenge, men's basketball playing Little Rock also at 2 p.m also on ESPN plus, and that one will be broadcast on the airwaves at WGTJ FM 97.5. 
And then on Wednesday, like I just mentioned, the women playing Bethune-Cookman in the GSU Thanksgiving tournament. That game is at 12 p.m. You can watch that on ESPN+. Plus. Men's basketball, like we said earlier, heading down to Little Rock, Arkansas for the return game. And that home and home, uh, the uh, first part being part of the Capital Challenge. But that will be at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you can listen to that one on WGTJ FM 97.5. And we will have a pod before then, but like I said, the women's basketball team will be host, hosting Elon and the GSU Thanksgiving tournament on Thursday at noon. That one will be on ESPN+. Plus. But that's all we got. Uh, Brady and I will, of course, be in attendance at Georgia State versus LSU in Baton Rouge, bringing you the uh, live action from the game and photographs as well. So we'll look forward to seeing you there if you're making the trip. If not... Uh, make sure you follow along, and we'll look forward to discussing it after the fact in the post-game pod. Maybe from the road, we'll see what happens. But, yep, that's it. That's all the time we got. Have a fantastic rest of your week, and go Panthers!